Would you pray with me? Father, I, I agree with what Brian was saying. We, God, we want you to be first. We want you to be our all in all. And we're sorry for those times where we have not lived like that. Help us to hear from you now as we open your word, as we look into what you have for us to hear. May we hear it from you, Lord, today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As was said before, we're doing this sermon series entitled First Things First. A few weeks ago, we looked at the idea of love, and we looked at that command from Jesus. Somebody asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He said, the first and greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Today, we're going to look at the importance of love again. Love is so important with God that I think that it bears repeating, right? If we're going to come up with a short list of things that are important in our walk with God, love better be at the top of that list. And in the passage of scripture we're going to look at today, we're going to look at the idea of holding on to our first love. Just as Jesus called the command to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, he called it the first and greatest command. Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture in which it talks about holding on to our first love. Now some theologians debate about in this passage whether this love is our love for God or our love for other people. And it might not surprise many of you here, I kind of tend to think that it's both. Although I would say that it's primarily about our love for God first. Or we could even say it's about God's love for us first. He loved us first. He invited us into a relationship with him. And when we entered into that relationship, he fills us with the Holy Spirit so that we can love him in return. And he continues to fill us to overflowing so that we can love people then in the love that God has for us. So as we think about the importance of love again, I hope you can see that it is truly an important topic, and that's why we're going to talk about it again today, specifically focusing on this idea of holding on to our first love. Now as an illustration, I want you to think about a newlywed couple and how much they were in love with each other when they first got married. For Christine and I, at our wedding, we had a, a slideshow set to music. Did any of you have that sort of a thing? And, and back in 2005, that maybe the technology wasn't there, or we didn't know the technology. That was like the most stressful part of our wedding, was to get the music to line up with the pictures. Remember that, Christine? And uh, yeah, everything else was very smooth. And uh, that one part is just so hard to get. But um, for one of those wedding slideshow songs, we picked the song, I Would Walk 500 Miles. Remember that song by the Proclaimers? They had this strange accent, I would walk 500 Anyways, the reason we picked that song is because Christine was living in Fergus Falls and I was living in Iowa City during those years of our engagement, and it was about 500 miles away. So the idea behind that song, the reason we picked it, was because, yes, I would have walked 500 miles if I would have had to. I wasn't going to let anything stand in the way of getting to my bride. Now, thankfully, this hasn't happened in our marriage, but in some marriages, love for each other can grow cold. Where at the beginning of a marriage, you might be glad to walk 500 miles to see your spouse, but a few years later, walking across the living room to sit next to your spouse can feel like a road too far. What happened? What happened? Love grew cold somewhere in there. Now, I use that as as an analogy for our love with God, our love for God. Maybe there was a time in our relationship with God where our love for him was so strong that we would have done anything and gone anywhere with him because we loved him so much. But maybe we feel like we've drifted away to some degree. So I want us to focus on our first love today. Remember, the first and greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. 
And again, the word first is going to show up in our passage again today. I want to read for you our passage from Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So in verses 1 and 7, we see that this message came both from Jesus and from the Holy Spirit. Um, you can read about in chapter 1, it gives this imagery of Jesus as the one who holds the stars in his hand and walks among the golden lampstands. The lampstands represent the seven churches to which these seven messages in Revelation 2 through 3 were given. So it's a message from God to these churches, but it also says in verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So raise your hand today if you have an ear. Okay, this message is for you then. Now, to whatever degree we see ourselves in this passage, we are supposed to listen. The, the message was written to one church, but it was also written to the churches, and that includes us. And, and maybe, you don't need to, maybe you're not in the same situation as these people were in. These people needed a rebuke. And let me say, if you need a rebuke today, please listen. And don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. God is the one who may be sending some of you a rebuke today as we talk about first love. Maybe some of you are on that mountaintop experience right now and you don't need a rebuke. Then let me just say this. Please take this passage as a warning. Every single one of us in this room needs this passage either as a rebuke or as a warning of what could happen to us. So let's move on now to verses 2 through 6. And I want to set this up like a report card. In these verses, God told the people uh, that he knew what they had done and um, some of the things went well. So we're going to look at nine categories on this report card, and the people of Ephesus in the church there were going to get graded in each category. So the first category is doing good deeds. We are created to do good deeds. God has prepared them beforehand that we would walk around in them. Our life with God is not just about what we know, what we say we believe. It's also about, to some degree, doing the right things. And the people in the church of Ephesus, they were doing well. They got an A. As we move on in verse 2, it talks about the next category of working hard. We're supposed to work hard. God gives us work to do. Even before sin came into the world, remember this, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had work to do. And God still gives us work to do. Now, yes, sin has made our work more difficult, more painful, more stressful at times. But we're still supposed to work hard as one of the ways that we can honor God. And the people in the church of Ephesus had done that. They get an A in working hard. Next category, persevering. This shows up actually both in verse 2 and in verse 3. We know that our lives are not always easy. Some of you are maybe going through a difficult time right now. No matter what comes our way, we are supposed to persevere. We're supposed to keep the faith. We're supposed to hold on to our faith and our love in God, whatever comes our way. And the people in Ephesus, they were persevering. They were doing the right things. They get an A. Number four, not tolerating wicked men. Now let's be careful with this one because remember, there, there's a great saying, I, I think it's helpful that we're supposed to love the sinner but hate the sin. 
And I think what this is talking about here is that we're not supposed to follow wicked people into the wicked things that they do. When it says not tolerating them, yes, we should still love them. We just shouldn't join with them in what they do. And, and let me just say that this isn't just for people we see outside the church. This would be if, if any wickedness creeps into our church as well. If some, somebody is engaged in something that is wicked within our church, we shouldn't be okay with it. Okay? This should not be a safe place to come and to hold on to your sin in that sense. Now, we hopefully will do that with love. We hopefully will do that because God loves you so much and he might use us to help you see what you need to turn from. Some of you in this church have been greatly helped by that ministry of, of rebuke. And the people in the church of Ephesus, they were doing well in this category. They got an A. Number five, accurately testing false prophets. We are supposed to know both God and his word so well that whatever comes our way, whatever message comes our way claiming to be from God, that we would be able to discern whether it is a true or a false message. It's a great prayer to pray for yourself and for others that you would be able to know what is true and be able to reject what is false. And the people at Ephesus were doing well in this. They got an A. And there we go. Number six, enduring hardships. Jesus himself promised us that we would have trouble in this world. Did you know that? We do not live in the perfect place right now. I know that Fergus Falls might seem like it at times. <laughs> but we do not live in the perfect place right now. And when difficulties come our way, we should endure. We should recognize that God loves us and wants to be with us in the midst of them. And the people in Ephesus were doing well in this. Again, they get an A. Seventh one, not growing weary. God will give us strength for whatever comes our way. I know some of you love this verse. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The church at Ephesus was doing that. They get an A. And then as we move on to verse 6, we see this description there about rejecting the practices of the Nicolaitans. Now, we don't know a lot about this group, although they do show up later in chapter 2, in verses 14 and 15, and apparently there we learn from, the, from them that they were people who promoted idolatry and sexual immorality. And those are things, of course, that God's people are supposed to stay away from, and the people at the Church of, the Eph Church of Ephesus were staying away from that. They get an A in this category as well. So far, this report card is going really well. People in the church in Ephesus, their, their theology, their actions, they're right on target. There's one category left. Holding on to your first love. Let's see how they're doing there. Verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Not well at all. They get an F in this category. Parents, how do you react if your kid comes home with a report card and there are eight A's and one F? Now, now, some of you parents, when you brought that report card home, maybe your parents said, wow, you got an A? Wow. But um, for your kids, we, have, we expect much more highly of them. And how would you respond if one of your kids came home with a report card like this, eight A's, one F? Well, maybe the one F, uh, maybe it was in something that was unimportant, like underwater basket weaving, and you're just like, okay, fine, no big deal. Or, or maybe your, your kid comes home and says, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I was gone the day that we were supposed to turn in a big project and I, I forgot about it and it was like 50% of the grade, so I got an F on that. Maybe as parents we would understand that. But what if that one F was in something that was really important? We, we would expect answers and we would expect change. 
Now, what about the church at Ephesus and their report card? Is this one category? Is this something, oh, pretty good, almost got it? Or is this, wait a second, this is the most important thing, and you failed at it? I think that's where this is going. I know that that's where this is going. It couldn't be more important. Again, that word first in verse 4, you've forsaken your first love, I just want to remind you, it's that same, thing, same word that Jesus used to say the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. In Ephesus, they had forsaken their first love. And again, I think that this term first love refers first and primarily to our love for God and then flowing out of that also our love for other people. They had forsaken that first love. Now let me explain that word forsaken. This is for, for those of you who, who know the Bible well, uh, this is something that maybe you didn't know about the Bible. This word forsaken is the same word that's used as the word forgive. So it's a little strange, let me explain it. It's the same word, for example, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses. It's the same word. Let me explain the word there in regard to forgiveness. We can think of our sin as being like a debt. We had all earned a sin penalty against God. Every single one of us turned our backs on God, walked the wrong direction, earned a sin penalty. We could never have paid it off. God knew that and loves us so much that he sent Jesus for us. Jesus took our sin penalty upon himself and paid it off so that our debt that what stood between us and God, our debt was forgiven. It was canceled. It was sent away. God did that as an act of his will. He looked at our sin. He sent his son to pay the price. Our sin payment, our debt was taken away, was canceled, was forgiven. Now that's a positive thing, of course. But now, here in Revelation 2.4, that same word is used to talk about how the people of Ephesus had sent their love away. So just, just like God, as an act of his will, sent our sin penalty away, so the people of Ephesus had sent their love for God away. Now, this is interesting to me, because in day-to-day -day life, we rarely hear people say that they want to stop loving God, especially in the church, right? I hope that, did, did anybody have that conversation in the lobby before church? Like, oh, I think I'm going to send my love for God away. Did anybody say that? I sure hope not. Because we don't usually say it that way. That's not usually the way that it happens. Usually the way that it happens is that we might use language like, oh, I feel like I've drifted away. Or I feel like I'm, I'm not as in love with God as I used to be. That's how we might say it. But here the language is of sending away that, that first love. So how does that happen? Why would somebody do that? That which none of us in here would say that we would ever want to do. Why would anybody do that? I think it's a key question that we should ask as we look into this passage. So I'll put it up here on the screen. Why would someone forsake their love for God? I want to suggest four reasons today, and there could be others. And again, I want you to listen to these either as a rebuke or as a warning. Whichever one you need to hear, please listen to God. So why would someone forsake their, their love for God? Number one, perhaps you have believed wrongly about God. So maybe you're going through a difficult time in life. Maybe you're in a time in life where you're saying, why is God not doing differently? I want him to do this, and he's just not doing it. Has that caused any of you in, in your love for him to, to cause your love to diminish? Have you allowed yourself to believe wrongly about God? Please know that whatever you're going through, he has good reasons for allowing you to go through that. And I hope that you, go, you love God more in the midst of your trials because you know that he's with you. Second, perhaps you have forgotten about God's goodness and love for you. 
And what I mean in this one to say is I want to get at this idea of maybe you have turned your relationship with God, which is supposed to be first and foremost a love relationship, maybe you have turned it into a relationship of works or of have-tos or of a to-do list. We are all in danger of, of having this happen to us because we all know that there's things in our walk with God that we should be doing, right? We all know, at least if you come here, you hear me saying we should read our Bible, we should pray, we should be in fellowship with other believers. We should, we should, we should, we should. And these are good things for us to do if we do them by faith. But if we're not careful, we can just turn them into a list of things that we're doing and, and not loving God in the midst of them. That's what the Pharisees of Jesus' day did. Sometimes we, we get on the Pharisees' case because they invented extra rules. So, so here's what the Pharisees were doing. And, and this was wrong of them to invent extra rules, but it really is not the main thing they did wrong. But, but allow me to explain. So God had given a list of laws in the Old Testament, 600 some of them. They got to know those laws really well, and they didn't want to break them. They pictured them as like a fence around the things that they didn't want to do. But because they didn't want to cross that fence, they actually made another fence around the fence, and they started enforcing all these other laws that they made up as well. And what happened to them is they became so infatuated with following rules that they forgot their first love. In fact, there's a verse in Mark 7, 6. That this is one of those verses that I always say, I want to I let God hit me between the eyes on this one every time I come across it in case I need it. In Mark 7, 6, Jesus was talking about the Pharisees, and he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Think about that. Here are the people that if you would have met them, uh, they would have looked like the religious people. That they would have looked like the leaders of the church in our day. They would have looked like the people who never miss a quiet time. They would have looked like the people who, when there's a prayer meeting, they would have been the first one to get up and pray. Yet Jesus went on to say that their worship was in vain. Something had happened in their love relationship with God that they had forgotten about the love and they were just doing the rules. What a sad commentary. Don't let this happen to you. Now, yes, of course, there are things that we should be doing in our walk with God, but of first importance, let's love God. So how is your heart doing in this? How is your heart doing in this? Are you just going through the motions or do you love God? And I want you to just think about when you came here this morning. Did you come here this morning just because it's Sunday morning? Well, well good. You got the right day. I'll give you that. <laughs> or did you come here because you love God and you want to worship Him? Or think about a Tuesday morning. You, you get up. Maybe you get the kids ready to go to school. Maybe you go to your job. Maybe you have that day off. As you're going through your Tuesday morning, is your heart thinking about how much you love God and you want to honor Him with every single thing that you do? Are you eager to, to invite Him into every part of your life, to talk to Him about that, to, to recognize that you need His help for that day? Or do you have your day set up so well that you don't need God in the midst of it? That you don't love God in the midst of it? Let's not be so caught up with our spiritual to-do lists that we forget God. You could come to me and show me your, your Bible reading plan. You could say, Pastor, I was going to read the Bible in a year, and I read it in nine months. Aren't I good? And I could say, hey, wow, good. You beat me. Um, did you love God more at the end of it? Did you love God more every moment as you were doing it? That's the goal, that we would love God. Whatever else we're doing, that we would love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
spent a little bit of extra time on that second one there because I really think it might be important for us not just to go through the motions, but to remember God's goodness and love as we walk with Him. Third, why would someone forsake their love for God? Perhaps you've stopped meeting with God. Maybe it's because your walk with God has become dull to you. I get it. But please know I have a good word for you. If you feel like your walk with God is dull, that's a heart issue and it can be corrected. It's like if, you, if there's something wrong with your heart and it feels terribly wrong and you go to the doctor and he says, oh, it's simple. Just do this. Like, wow, okay, great. And it's done? Really? I do this and this? Yes. If your walk with God has become dull, just talk to God about it. That's not what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be dull and joyless. It's supposed to be filled with love and God can give that to you. He can bless you with that as you seek him. Or maybe one of the reasons you stop meeting with God is because you say your life is too busy. Have any of you heard yourself say that to God at any time in the last six months or so? I'm just too busy to meet with God. Well, let me say on this point, and this is harsh. You know, I don't like to be harsh, um, but I'm going to be harsh for a moment. If your life is too busy to meet with God, you're living the wrong life. Do you know why I say that? I thought about that carefully this week. I say that because I do not believe that God desires to lead you on a path where you're too busy. And if your life just is always, always, always too busy to meet with God, I think it's because there's a priority that's wrong in your life. I don't think that it's God who has led you into that. Now, I get it. There might be busy days, even busy seasons of life, and and to some degree I'm okay with that if it's just for a, a short time. But if the regular pattern of your life is that you say you're too busy to meet with God, I really think it's a heart issue. I really think that something in your life needs to change so that you can meet with God the way that He wants to. That He wants you to. Because He wants to meet with you. Don't leave your first love. Especially because stuff of life is getting in the way. Don't leave your first love. And then number four, this one should be obvious. If you love sin more, you will love God less. Maybe some of you are stuck in something right now that you know isn't right. And of course, of course, it's going to take your love for God away because your heart has been set on something far lower than God. We'll talk a little bit more about this one later when we get into verse 5. But I just want to wrap up my comments on verse 4 here by saying that if you have drifted away from God, please know that it isn't His fault and He loves you and He wants you back. And if there's distance between you and God, please analyze your heart. Look at your heart. And then there's some really good advice, advice in verse 5 as we get there. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. There's three commands in here. We're going to look at each of the three of them. The first one is that we are to remember. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Do you remember how much you used to love Jesus? Do you remember that time in your walk with him that you would have done anything? That that you spent time with him? That you were glad to be in prayer? That you were glad to be in fellowship with other believers because you got to talk about the one that you love most? Do you remember that? Well, think back to it. Because if there's a difference between how little you love God now and how much you used to love Him before, think back to what it used to be like. It's like a a married couple going back and reading their love letters when they were engaged. Go ahead and do that with God. Think back to what He's done for you. Think back to the cross. Think of how much God loves you. Remember that. 
second command here is to repent. It's mentioned twice. The second one here, it says that if they don't repent, that God was going to come and remove their lampstand from its place. Remember, the lampstand represented the church. God was threatening to take their church away. This love problem, I, I said I thought it was pretty important. Well, it's so important that God was going to take their church away if they didn't love God more. Now, I was thinking about this and asking the question, do you think there's churches today that maybe God has already removed their lampstand and maybe they're still meeting? Maybe, maybe they have forsaken their first love long ago and they're still going through the motions. May it not be us. Let's repent. Repent. And the word repent is very, it's a very simple word. It just means to turn around. It means to, to change your mind attitude towards sin. That if you are going in the wrong direction... Go to God and ask Him to take whatever is in the way of your relationship with God. Sometimes I think of every sin that we commit as like a brick in a wall that we put between us and God. And in repentance, we ask God to take that wall down. We admit that it's our fault. We admit that there's something wrong. And we ask God for His help. So we repent. There's a great... Um, let me see where I have this here. I apologize. There's a... Uh, the idea of repentance is that whatever is in the way between us and God, that, that we would just be so eager for it to be gone because we love God so much that we want to be with Him. That we want to be with Him. So what might that be? Let, let's talk application about repentance here. And the question I want to ask you is, do you love something more than you love God? That could be a person. That could be your career. It could be... Uh, a hobby that you have? Is there anything in your life that you feel like, as we're talking about first love, our first love should be for God, is there anything in your life that's trying to take over first place in that? There might be people who say that they love God, but they really love their career, and they spend all of their time and their energy thinking about their career. Now remember, I've already said today, we're supposed to work hard. That's not the problem. The problem is when we turn our job into a God, into an idol. Or, or maybe, again, like if we've done this with, uh, with a hobby. For me, I've, I've had many times in my life to, to check my heart in regard to sports. It's easy for me to get so caught up in sports that I just can forget about other things. And what am I doing if I'm doing that? I, I don't want to turn sports into an idol, so I, I talk to God about it. I, I regularly have a conversation with God about that, and I don't always get it right. But I, I want to keep coming back to God and talking to Him. Or maybe there's some sinful pleasure that, that is getting in the way of your relationship with God. And if you know that it's there, just right now in your heart, you can stop listening to me. Just talk to God and repent. He'll give you the strength that you need to turn away from it. He'll cleanse you. Just walk with Him. I want to love God first. I hope that that's where your heart is at as well. So here, the point is, don't let anything get in the way of your walk with God. Now, um, that's the goal. In reality, we all know it gets messy, right? We all know that it gets difficult. We all know that our other desires creep in and they can crowd out God. Uh, and that's where we might feel like we've drifted away. That's why repentance is so important. I want to give for you a quote. It's from a guy named Ron Burgett. He used to be the, the pastor of the Free Church in Alexandria. Now he's a missionary. Do you know which quote? Maybe, I don't know, if you've heard Ron, you know Ron pretty well. Um, it's a great quote. He's actually a missionary now, and he's actually in our new budget, the one that we're going to vote on either today or next week, depending on whether. Um, he's, gonna, he's a missionary now, but he has this great quote. 
I've mentioned it before, and so many of you have said that you like it, that I just keep coming back to it. He said, the best that I have been able to do is to have a walk where I circle back more quickly and then drift off less often as well. I appreciate the humility in that. It, it, it recognizes that we don't get this perfect. This walk with God, where we're supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus and stay on the path that he has for us, well, every once in a while we set our eyes on the wrong thing and we tend to drift. And what he says, I want to read it again. The best that I have been able to do is to have a walk where I circle back more quickly and then drift off less often as well. If you ever drift off, even for just a step off of that path, repent, come back to God quickly. Build that pattern in your life that whenever you see sin, that you love God so much that you want to come back to him quickly. Anything is wrong in your walk with God, talk to God, repent. Then the third command in this verse, do the things you did at first. Now, I've tried to get the point across in my sermon today that ultimately this is about our love for God and actions are really second most important behind our, our heart, our love for God. But actions can play a role in this. Sometimes just by doing the right things, we can be reminded to have the right heart attitude towards God. I want to use an illustration here. Um, men, how many... I, I want to see hands raised on this. Men, how many of your wives like flowers? Okay, I'm going to raise my hand. If you're not raising your hand right now, men, I really want you to look into this and ask her, because you might be very wrong. Oh, my wife doesn't like flowers. And then you ask, wife, do you like flowers? Yes, who doesn't? Um, okay, so maybe a man is thinking, oh, it's been like a year since I got my wife flowers. I should probably go. And maybe the first thought that the man has is, oh, come on, really? Flowers? Are you kidding me? What a waste of money. And you go into the flower store, and the first thought in your mind isn't, what is my wife going to like? The first thought in your mind is, what's the price? And you go around, and you find something cheap enough that you think that she might like, and, and you say, that'll do. They're just going to be dead in a week anyways. And then you go up to the counter, and they ask you at the counter, do you want a card with that? And you're like, oh, card, come on. No, the flower, flowers will be just fine. I don't need to put a card in there. And then you go home, and you give them to your wife, and you go, here, hope you'll like them. No, you guys, here's how you do it. You go into the flowers, and I'm not very great at this, by the way, okay, <laughs> for me. You go into the flower store, and you remember your wife and how much you love her, and you remember that she likes flowers, and she takes those flowers as a sign of your love for her, so that even if they only last for three days, that for those three days, those flowers remind her of your love for her. So instead of looking first at the price, you look first at what she might like, and hopefully you've figured out some flowers that she likes over the years because you care enough about her to give her what she likes. And then when they ask you, do you want a, do you want a card with that? You say, yeah, I should, I should not only get a card, I should actually spend some time figuring out something to put on there. And then by the time, when you give those flowers to your wife, you're able to say, I love you. And she knows it. Now think about that in our relationship with God. There are things that we're supposed to do in our relationship with God. Okay, I'm supposed to have my quiet time. Fine, I'll open my Bible. Okay, I'm done. No. Do the things you did at first means, I think, do them with the love that you had at first. Do them by faith. Again, it's, it's, there, there's no bonus points for just going through the motions. There's no bonus points for spitting out your prayers. A friend of mine once said that... Uh, like, I feel like sometimes I'm just vomiting my prayers out and God doesn't want to hear them. I'm like, okay, let's not do that. When we're praying, let's talk to God because we love Him. But sometimes, I think the point here in, in, when it says do the things you did at first is 
If there's something that you've been missing, if you haven't cracked open your Bible in a while, if you haven't had heartfelt prayer in a while, go back to that, not just as an action, but as something that you do because you love God and you want to be with Him. And you want to give that time to Him as a gift, as a sacrifice of praise. Do the things you did at first. And then very quickly, before I conclude my sermon, one note on verse 7. It says, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Our only hope of overcoming is if we stick with the one who has already overcome, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has already shown his victory over the powers of sin and death and the devil. He is the overcomer. We overcome as we stay with him, as we walk with him, as we love him, as we grow in our faith. And if we do so, then we get to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And I'm looking forward to that. That sounds really tasty to me. I want to be there. I want to be with God. I want to serve Him and love Him and enjoy the blessings that He has prepared for His children. And then here's my conclusion. I want to conclude with a story today. A story about a man who helped me consider the importance of first love. His name is Bill Bright. He's the he was the founder and president of Campus Crusade for Christ. He founded it back like in the late 1940s and served in that position for over 50 years. And I had the privilege of serving on staff with Campus Crusade for six years. And Bill Bright often told his staff members, never forget your first love. Never forget your first love. Never leave your first love. In fact, he gave us all the rights. So here's a guy who had this worldwide corporation and uh, he told all of his staff members, as best I remember this, that the first thing that we should be concerned with is our walk with God. In fact, he gave us all the, the authority in our schedules to take a half day off every month and just meet with God. I remember as a young staff person going through my, my schedule with my, with my director, and the, one of the important questions in there is, when is your time with God in there? And that came from Bill Bright because he wanted us never to leave our first love. He knew that as we were going to go out there and try to help people know Jesus and grow in their faith, that, that we were going to need to have a close walk with God if we were going to do that the right way. So he said, never leave your first love. It's, it's very simply the, the positive side of what's said in Revelation 2.4. The people there had forsaken their first love, so he kept reminding us never to leave our first love. I had the privilege of... Being on staff, when, when Bill Bright was on his deathbed, we, we were at a conference. and he, Don't worry, his deathbed wasn't at the conference. That would be weird. Um, his deathbed was somewhere else, and we were all at a conference together. And we were told that he had two final messages to give. His last one was for his wife, Vonette. I don't know what he told her. That wasn't for me to hear. His second-to-last message was for us staff members as we were gathered together. And I remember getting out my pen and my paper because I wanted to write down these wise words from this man who, in my opinion maybe along with Billy Graham, had about as much impact for the kingdom of God in the, in the 20th century as maybe anybody else in the world. I won't, I won't get into all the things that he did, but I just so respected his passion for mission, his passion for the gospel, and I wanted to write down what this wise man was going to say. And I soon realized that I wouldn't even have to write it down to remember it because he said, never leave your first love. And I, I thought, isn't that great? Here's this guy. It could have been some grandiose mission strategy of what he wanted his corporation to do after he was gone, but it wasn't that. It was never leave your first love. And that's what I want you to consider today. How are you doing at your first love? Have you drifted away? Is your love colder now than it was before? Just talk to God about that. He loves you. He wants you back. Jesus told a couple of stories about that. The 
the lost son, the lost sheep. God wants us back. He wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He will give us the strength to do that as we remain in him, as we stay close to him. How is your love for God doing? If everything else in your life is going well except for that, your life is not going well. It is of first importance that we would hold on to our love for God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for sending Jesus for us that we can be not only forgiven but also welcomed into a relationship with you that lasts forever. Thank you for bringing your gospel to us. And God, we... We love you. We're sorry for those times where we haven't loved you the way that we should. And Lord, help us to hear your message, whether it's it's a rebuke today or whether it's a warning. Help us to consider our first love and where we should be, where our hearts should be with you. Help us to repent if there's anything we need to repent of. If there's anything getting in the way of our love for you, God, we ask you to take it away. Please forgive us and cleanse us. We pray that we would remember your great love for us that we would do the things that you want us to do, but that we would do them with the right heart, with the right actions. God, please strengthen us to hold on to our first love. May we never outlive our love for you. May we walk closely with you now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.